Cubs fans, welcome to Cubs on Tap, presented by On Tap Sportsnet. I am Brian Mishler, and I am also with Patrick Mooney. So, Patrick, it is your first time on Cubs on Tap, so how about you introduce yourself to the audience here real quick? Hey, what's up, guys? It's Patrick Mooney here. Not to be uh, uh, confused with the other Patrick Mooney who's been writing for Comcast and The Athletic, no relation, just a random happenstance there. Uh, I've known uh, some of the people through other blogging uh beforehand before joining uh the on tap network and been a cubs fan you know grew up in a split household but been a cubs fan you know my whole life um and just really excited about the opportunity to be writing and talking about cubs uh baseball on this website awesome patrick thank you for that so let's just get right to it there's no sugarcoating it this is about as bad as a loss gets i mean the cubs are right there but once again, Pedro Strobe comes in, doesn't look well, throwing a lot of meat over the plate. I mean, it's just a common theme we've been seeing for a while. His velocity's down. He's not throwing as hard. He looks like he's all over the place. And quite frankly, I just, I just don't understand why Joe Madden keeps throwing him out there in the eighth inning. I think there's a lot other arms, C-Shack, Kinsler, to name just two, that should be featured out there as a setup man. I mean, the Cubs went out and paid for one of the best closers of all time in Craig Kimbrell, but you got to be able to get to him to be able to use him. And I just don't think Pedro Strope should be there in the eighth inning anymore. What about you, Pat? What do you think? Yeah, you know, so since the All-Star break, Pedro ended the All-Star break on a nice little run and got the ERA down under four for the first time since he came off the DL. And in that time frame, um, since the All-Star break, in six appearances, he's given up runs in three of them. Tonight was the second time he's given up three runs. Um, and one thing I thought that was interesting, Madden's shown a track record with his guys in the bullpen um, to maybe wait you know, an outing or two too long before making the move. And I was looking back, and when he gave up the three-run homer to Pittsburgh the other day, or at the start of the All-Star break, um, they came back and won that game. When he gave up the homer uh, in the eighth inning to blow the lead in San Diego on Friday, uh, they came back and won that game. And so this is the first one of his blow-ups that's cost them. So I think that the fact that they were coming back and winning um, was allowing Joe to give his guy a little extra leash. And another thing I thought was interesting, you know, C-Sheck pitched in the seventh the last couple games with short leads, but that was against the four, five, and six hitters against San Diego. So even though Strope was pitching in the eighth, there's an argument there that that was actually a lower leverage situation. But today, C-Sheck got the bottom of the order in the seventh. Pedro got the meat in the eighth, and he, you know, he got got. He gave up, I think, four hits. Um, the three. I mean, that's just too much. You there's you can you can argue about you know batted ball luck and things but after those first couple hits in that first run those were two absolutely tanked doubles by some real low level caliber hitters at the bottom of the giants order and that you know cost them the game yeah those are some great point great points right there about the is it, there's an argument to be made that C. Sheck was actually pitching a higher leverage situation or high leverage inning the past couple of times so great point there but I will say that I agree with you on what Pedro Strope's been doing. It feels like 
when they come back to win those games that the narrative changes very quickly and nobody, everybody forgets about Pedro Strope giving up some runs in the eighth or whichever inning he's pitching. But when it doesn't happen, people don't forget. And then it leaves a bad taste in people's mouth about Pedro Strope's performance. So I will agree with you on that, that I think a change will be made after this time going through. And plus, I think this is a worse Strope has ever looked. Because it feels like most most of the prior prior times he struggled, it was basically off of one pitch, like a one pitch home run that was either a solo shot, two run home run, or he gave up a three run home run a couple games ago. But today was the first time where you saw him saw him get knocked around all over the field, and that that proves how uncomfortable he is out there. So I agree with you. I think he's I. I think he's probably done in the eighth inning after this. I think he should be. And I understand the whole high leverage, low leverage situation type of thing. But I think that's more of a I think that's more of a playoffs type of thing because over the long haul in 162 games, normally you have your seventh inning guy, your eighth inning guy, and your closer. And then the high leverage, low leverage type of situations come more into play in the playoffs. But yes, those are some solid points you said. And also, I think, I mean, I don't want to say the Cubs should be expecting Brandon Morrow to come back, but I touched on this last or two Cubs on taps ago. But I, I mean, he's pitched a couple live bullpen sessions in Arizona now. And if he's looking good, it's hard not to look forward to his return, to be honest. What's your thoughts on that? So along the lines of that, so... Right now, before Kimbrel, Strope should probably be third in the pecking order, right? You should see Shaq, who's had – we haven't seen his career as well as we've seen Pedro's. Obviously, he's been the Cub for so long. But C-Shack's career has essentially mirrored Pedro. There should be no reason why Madden should hesitate to go to Steve C-Shack because he's eighth-inning guy right now. Kinsler totally should, should probably be getting you know a few more high-leverage looks than Pedro. Um, but – there's been all this talk with the deadline coming up about needing to get a left-handed reliever because Kyle Ryan's the only lefty. And I do understand that you want to get different looks from, you know, you know, guys pitching from the left side. But I, I disagree with the notion that they have to add a left-handed reliever unless they're going out and getting a Will Smith or someone like that. They should be getting impact over handedness. Um, I know that, I mean, it's it's not going to be the perfect bullpen. You don't want to have a situation where Kyle Ryan's your only lefty, but I'd much rather have an impact, hard-throwing, right-handed, you know, arm in there in the late innings than a left-hander just for the sake of handedness. I, you can't convince me that Tony Watson or Jake Diekman would help out this team more than, say, a Ken Giles would just because they're throwing from the left-hand, of you know, from the left-hand side when – the Cubs have obviously an issue with their seventh and eighth inning setup right now with Pedro. And we don't know, you know, Brandon Kinsler around this time last year is when the Cubs traded for him. And at his age, well, he, he might not, you know, be able to finish as strong as he's, as he's pitched throughout the season at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. I had not necessarily an argument, but last Cubs on tap with Nick about Kinsler's usage. I was on board with him seeing more high, high leverage, inning situations like yourself but I do think he's at his peak value when he's coming into dirty innings because he can get ground or double play ground balls so I understand that argument but at the same time he's he's just a better pitcher than Strope at this point 
But I'm, I want to comment on what you said about some trades that can make. I've seen that the Cubs were targeting Will Smith from the Giants. And it's funny because b- before their All-Star break, that was very, very realistic. But I just, I mean, the San Francisco Giants are not even close to out of the, out of the playoff race anymore. I mean, they've won 16 of their past 19. It's kind of insane that they've been doing this. And they're riding, riding the wild card race, so I don't think that's realistic anymore. And I, I agree with what you're saying. You don't want to just have one lefty reliever, but I like the, the impact over arm type of notion that you're going with. Sometimes people get too, get too excited about the whole left-handed or right-handed type of ordeal. But, I mean, there's just so many moves that the Cubs could make with relievers and we're just going to have to just sit and wait until Theo and Jed make their moves. But moving forward, I mean, the Cubs, the Cubs get just got outplayed tonight. I mean, yeah, they were winning and kind of blew it in the eighth with stroke, but they had six hits to the giants, 13. They, they deserve, they deserve to lose that game quite frankly. Yeah, it was tough. It, it felt like it was kind of slipping. And then what made the, the stroke debacle even worse was in the top of the eighth when they may had that two run or two out uh, rally with Brian getting the single, then stealing second base and Rizzo driving him in on the very next pitch. So it kind of felt like that was your escape. And it was even like, okay, even we know that Pedro has been struggling. He even has some breathing room. He gave up that first run, but then the bottom of the order is coming up and he gets the second out and you're thinking, okay, you know, it's, we're going to be all right. And then he gives up the back-to-back extra base hits, one to tie it, one to uh, blow the game. And then they even had a little fake rally there in the ninth, and you know Schwarber popped out at, at the end at the end of things there. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's not it's 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 definitely discouraging. I I don't want to buy into the whole you know this team can't play on the road notion, but it's frustrating when they're ten games under five hundred on the road, which I believe is the second or third worst record in the National League. Um, you you can't keep you know giving games away. You, know, you have to be able to steal games on the road, and today was a game they were set up to steal. Like you said, they were outplayed, but at the bottom, the bottom line is they had a two-run lead in the bottom of the eighth. They just needed to get three outs to get the ball to Kimbrell, and Pedro wasn't able to do that. So that makes tonight hard to swallow, especially with Madison Bumgarner on the mound tomorrow. Yep, totally, totally on board with everything you just said. They get they they got outplayed, like you said, but it just comes down to the facts that they had the game right there in the palm of their hands, and they didn't capitalize. But I do want to talk more about what you said about the Cubs playing a little small ball today. I was kind of surprised by that. In the eighth, the Cubs, or KB, got a single with two outs, and then he steals a base, which I thought that was – I think you got to make that move, especially getting in the top of the eighth need an insurance run. But it just was so effective because right after he steals the base, Rizzo gets a clutch hit. And honestly, once again, Anthony Rizzo getting a – clutch hit with runners in scoring position. I honestly feel like he's the one Cub to do that on a consistent basis out of anybody in the lineup. And then to elaborate further on the Cubs playing some small ball, Garcia bunted in the top of the fourth to move. I forget who was on base, but but to move someone over. Move Rizzo from first to second. Okay, Rizzo from first to second. I thought that was really interesting because the Cubs aren't a team that plays too much small ball because analytics kind of destroys that destroys small ball in general, especially bunting. Not as much stealing, but like analytics basically says bunting is the worst thing you can do. So I thought that was very intriguing that the Cubs displayed two different types of small balls in today's game. 
they still ended up losing, but that's not because of that situation because both of them worked out. So what do you think of that? I thought, so the two different instances, the, the Bryant situation, I thought was, was smart. At first, I was kind of, you know, like you said, you brought up the analytics behind avoiding the small ball type style. But, and you're thinking, you know, Rizzo, whenever Anthony Rizzo's up to bat, you're in scoring position. doesn't matter what base you're on. But, yeah. you know, Rizzo had two strikes on him. And, you know, worst case scenario, Bryant gets thrown out. Well, then Rizzo's leading off the ninth inning for you. Um, and he got the bag, and then he scored the run. I did not like Robel bunting. First, I think he was trying to bunt for a hit. The previous at bat, it was the same pitcher. Uh, facing him who in the previous at bat he put one you know into the water over the right field bleachers so so i really did not um like that like that decision on on robel's part to to put the bunt down but it ended up working um more shot off a little blooper that dropped in but as as you alluded to in your article that you published today uh robel garcia no one in the lineup should be trying to set up albert almora for a runners and scoring situation So I, I really did not like the Robel move, even though it ended up panning out. Yeah, I would agree. I actually didn't see the bunt happen. I just checked the play-by-play. But Oh, yeah, he was, he was trying to bunt for a hit, and he, okay. and he laid down a bad bunt. But that, that, that yeah, I don't, I don't like that then. I, I don't really like the small ball situation either, but Robel trying to bunt for a hit, that just doesn't play into his strengths. He's kind of a two-outcome two type of guy. And it's working out for him right now. That actually goes on to my point that I had written down right here. Top to second, Robel hits a bomb. I mean, that thing was an absolute blast. And I think, I don't see, I have defended Addison Russell a lot with his play on the diamond. I think he gets too much, too much hate because he hasn't been that bad. Like saying he's been as bad as Albert Ramore this year is just completely false. However, you have to have Robel. Garcia in the lineup right now. I don't care if it's second base, third base, left field or right field. He needs to be in the lineup. He's hitting as good as anybody, if not better than anybody on the roster right now. And he just needs to play. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think, you know, when you have these kind of triple-A flash-in-the-pan types, Robella is such a unique, weird story with his career arc. Um, so I think when you have a guy like Garcia who has, you know, who's already striking out an enormous rate in AAA, so you know he's going to do it at this level. I think you can get him, you, you don't worry about the league adjusting to him because it's inevitable that they will. So mm-hmm. I think you throw him out there as much as possible and squeeze every drop of, of this run and his, his power and his talent out as you can. He's made nine starts, and he has eight extra base hits, two doubles, yes. two triples, and four homers. So just keep rolling that out there until the league adjusts back, and then especially in this next nine- to ten-day window before they either – I don't know what they do in the outfield if it's a trade or they hope that Ian Happ is going to be their next outfield bat or a combination of Happ and an outfield bat. Whatever they do, they're going to add to the outfield mix. I think we'd both be shocked if they didn't do something um, within the next nine days there to help with with, with the roster in, in that uh, area. But for sure, I think Robel should be getting as many opportunities, and when the league adjusts, they adjust, and then you keep them on the bench and use them as a pinch hitter late in games for you know, and hope you can run into one. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I've been saying that for a couple of days now. I don't understand why Robel Garcia is sitting because if he's, you're you're sitting him, you're just waiting for the – like the league gathers so much intelligence at such a fast pace that you're just mm-hmm. wasting an opportunity for te- teams to adjust to him. And like you're saying, it's inevitable that he's going to regress. I mean, he, he's going to. So why not squeeze 
at the very max you can before he starts to regress. Yes, we're both in agreement there. You need to play Robel. And it is interesting. I thought it was so interesting that he played left field a couple days ago. I thought that, I honestly thought Kyle Schwarber was on the trading trading block a couple days ago because he it was weird that he sat i think it was like either three games in a row or three out of four games it was it was it was three games in a row and i was just like i don't i I didn't get it because he was like the everyday left fielder for a very long time played damn near every day and then he all of a sudden sits three times in a row and you also had robel garcia playing in left and i was like damn it looks like they're about to just ship off kyle schwarber i hope they don't do that he did strike out in a clutch situation and the game, but I just I just don't think the Cubs are in a position to trade any of their position players right now because their position player depth has been awful all year. And that leads into our next segment of, yes, Almora had an RBI single today. And if, for people who do not know, I wrote a very negative article about Albert Almora today. If you want to check it out on ontapsportsnet.com, I really think he's, I mean, the Cubs aren't, the Cubs won seven out of the first 10 games out of the break right now. So, I mean, they're playing well, but I just think for them to reach their maximum potential, it start. it's the reason why they can't is because of Albert Ramora, because he's not a good hitter. Everybody knows that, but it's, it's deeper than that. When he can't play every day, you move Jason Hayward to center field and Jason Hayward's a top, three or four defensive right fielder in baseball right now. And because of Albert Almora not being able to play every day, he plays center field and he's a well below average center fielder. So you're not only getting worse in one position in right field when you're taking Hayward away, but you're getting worse in center field as well. And then all of a sudden you have Chris Bryant in right field, for example, and then Schwarber in left field. And that's damn near the worst defensive outfield in baseball right there. And the staple of the Cubs the past year has been awesome stellar defense, and they haven't been that this year. And I think a large part of that is because of that outfield issues. They have had a lot of infield errors, I understand that, but I just think pervasively, defensively, they have not been good. What are your thoughts on that matter? Yeah, so I so I read your piece today, and yeah, that's Elmora. His his bat has been so bad that you can't. He's been in the lineup. He's started 13 out of 16 games in July and every game this week and he's let off uh three three games over the past week um and it's the outfield depth with him not even being able to hit like you mentioned Addison Russell earlier who's been a low 700s OPS type batter about 15 percent below league average that's a playable bat with Almora's glove but he's not doing that he's about 40 percent below league average only Chris Davis of the Orioles and Billy Hamilton over the last calendar year have been worse hitters statistically with the minimum 400 plate appearances he's gotten his longer extended look the league has exploited the holes in his swing and his approach and he has not come even close to adjusting back. I don't even think Albert Almora down the stretch can be counted on as a fourth outfielder. I think he should be nothing but a, but the second bench outfielder and a late-inning glove replacement. That's it. They should bring up Ian Happ to be their fourth outfielder in the coming days along with adding one in the trade. You can add a, a corner outfield bat like a Nick Castellanos type, and that – that continues to hurt the outfield defense, but you kind of have to pick your poison with how this roster is built. There, there aren't, there aren't, you know, many glove first players with the bat 
in center field that, that allows them to be playable that can be had at this trade market. So you just have to bank on your on your on playing that beer league softball type defense out in the outfield with Schwarber Hayward and a corner outfield bat, and then try to bring in the late inning glove defense. And that's where having Hap up can help because at least Hap will play in center field and can maybe have a league average bat, and you can keep Hayward in right field a little more often uh, than we've been able to see. So it's an imperfect situation, but I don't even think you can have Albert Armour as your fourth outfielder down the stretch these next two months. Nobody else in contention is playing a, a player as often as the Cubs are playing Almora, who's who's bad is that week. No other team in the National League in contention have a guy, has a guy like that that's getting that much time. Is yeah, it's not even close, and it's just people talk about yes, the Cubs haven't had the position player depth, and they've had second base issues. But Robel Garcia has really helped that second base issue. But the biggest issue by far all year has just been the gaping hole in center, in center field. field. It's the biggest issue in the organization. They're at least options at second base, like you said. Like yeah. Bo- Bodie has his streaks. Russell has the great glove. Um, you even got and, Nico Horner coming up. Right. For the future, there's something. And I'm, I, I have something about Ian Happ in the works. It'll be out tomorrow on Tap Sportsnet. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, that's a big reason why I don't think Happ's going to be traded unless they pull off a surprise deal for what Merrifield is. Center field's clearly the biggest hole in the organization. And there, there, there aren't many impact center fielders around baseball, and most of them play on good teams. So, oh, yeah, yeah. so you're not going to be able to go get one. You have to, tr- I mean, that it, and, and Al Moore is not the answer, and he's a likable guy. He, he seems beloved in the clubhouse. He obviously cares about winning and cares about um, the organization, but he, he's enough's enough. He's gotten his, his sample. He's gotten his look, and it's it's just not there. It isn't, and it's – I mean, Theo preached – I remember his offseason press conference after the year where last year ended in a disappointment – he talked extensively about how they have to start looking at production over potential. And right now the production is staring at you in the face with Albert Armora. And I don't understand why they keep playing him. Actually, there is an answer. It's because they have really nobody else. They do not. I guarantee you they do not want to move Hayward to center field permanently. That's not what they want to do. That would be the last resort type of thing they do. But if Almora continues to struggle, and I think they're about to give Ian Happ a very a, a, a close or a, a chance here really, really soon. And I think it needs to happen like two days ago because he's been hitting really well back in the minors. And I really hope it works out for him in center field because, like you said, he's not as good as Almora defensively, but he's he's at least been like an above average hitter at some point of his career. You know what I mean? Like last year at the deadline. It should be playable enough that it allows you to put Hayward in right. And against lefties, you can play Castellanos in left and have Hayward in right with Happ in center. And then they're against certain right-handed matchups. You could probably sit Castellanos, play Hayward in right. He'll still probably have to play as much center as he has been. But at least this way, when he's in center, you actually have the offensive output. You're not just putting Brian in the outfield and having David Bodie or somebody at third base giving you a, a below league average bat. You have a guy like Nick Castellanos out there who's going to, you know, hit, slug, take his walks, drive in runs, you know, put the bat on the ball. You're, you're at least going to have – you have to improve somewhere. And, you know, so that's why I think I think Castellanos or someone of that um, caliber is going to be coming in pretty soon. And I think 
they need to counter that by pulling up Ian Happ because they can't keep trotting Elmore out there multiple times a week in the starting lineup. He shouldn't be starting more than once a week, if that. I agree. And I also think – I think it's funny what they're going to do with Wilson Contreras. He's on the IL still, but I think Victor Car- Caratini is way too good to be the backup catcher. I honestly think they're going to start putting Contreras out in the outfield maybe twice a week, once a week at least. And a lot of people disagree with me on that because of defensively. But, I mean, Wilson Contreras played a lot of left field. I think it was 2016 or 2015. I think it was 2016. It was. It was year because they had Montero and Ross. Yes. So, 2016 played a lot of left field. It's not that unfamiliar for him. And he started in right field July 3rd. So, I mean, he's been getting fly balls in practice for about a month. If he started right field on July 3rd, that means he got fly balls in practice at least two weeks before that. So it's, he's been probably practicing out there and he had like an arch strain in his foot and that's from catching because you're always in your tiptoes catching and you're always popping up back there. I think he's too good of a bat to play catcher. You rarely see that good of a bat playing catcher in the MLB and there's a reason for that. So I think he's going to start getting looks out there. But the bottom line is they need one of these guys, Almora, Hap, Russell, Bodie. They need one of these four guys to start figuring it out because if Bodie starts to play better, then yes, you can put Bodie at third, Robel at second, and then you can have Bryant in the outfield. Bryant's not a good outfielder, but he's not horrific by any means. He's a great athlete. Or if Addison Russell figures it out, then you stick Chris Bryant at third base, and then maybe you put Robel Garcia more in the corner outfielders. So, I mean, the bottom line, Robel Garcia has to be in the lineup, but it's one of those other three guys or four guys, if you include half, that needs to start producing more. And I think it's... I don't understand why Hap hasn't gotten the opportunity yet. I mean, you and I are in agreement with this. It's not like anybody in the, on the MLB roster right now is playing so well that they're like, oh, we just we just don't have the room for Hap. That's not even close to true. They have plenty of room. They got to start giving him giving him shot. And if he turns out, if he comes up here and strikes out a lot and he plays horribly, then you know you have to make a deal at the deadline. Yeah, and I think we're all just kind of going stir crazy. Like after, like we just need. It, we're gonna have so much more clarity in the next ten days. There's been so many rumors out there, and the deadline kind of comes at a weird time. I because you'd like to maximize your roster because after this series ends on Wednesday with the Giants, they have nine straight games with three against Milwaukee, three against the Cardinals, and three more against Milwaukee. And the deadline, I think, falls on the second day of the Cardinals series. So it's almost like you'd want them to make all of their their impactful moves by the off day on Thursday. That's probably not realistic, especially with, like you mentioned, the Giants situation earlier. The National League playoff race is so jumbled up so if you're trying to add from a national league west team um you're, you're probably not going to be able to do that who knows what colorado's plans are they have simple there's literally, there's literally one bad team there's literally one team in the nl that's completely out of it and it's the marlins it's it like the nl is insane right and and you'd hope you know you'd hope that some of the lesser talented teams would be smart enough to move on like yeah hopefully. the reds and the pirates but those are divisional teams those are teams you're not going to be making a deal with the mets have a weird group of not really tradable assets. They have some good uh, controllable players, but not a lot of guys on the rental or year and a half of control market that you want to go and, and get, especially after Zach Wheeler hit the uh, injured list the other day. So it, it's it's a weird situation. I'd probably 
living a pipe dream here, thinking the Cubs are going to make a move by this Thursday, the 24th. You know, that deadline's the 31st for the re- for a reason, and teams usually wait until the 29th or so to start, you know, popping off, you know, the bigger deals. So we'll we'll see. It's just I know I'm going stir crazy. I'm I'm ready for to to know. I, I'm getting tired playing the guessing game. We have too much time on our hands, too much information at our disposal with Twitter and everything. Um, I'm ready for a move to be made, whether it's Castellanos or Danny Santana. From, I think that's his first name, Danny uh, Santana from Texas, or Eric Sogard or Gerard Dyson. or I or I, I don't know, but I, I'm ready for a move to be made, and then we should find out whether or not Hap's going to come up or if he's involved in a trade or whatnot. Um, he's finally put together an extended period of success where – July is the first month where both the power has been there and the strikeouts have been down. He hasn't, he's had stretches where the strikeouts were down, but the power wasn't there. Power was there. Strikeouts were still there. Sometimes where he was striking out a ton and had no power. So I think by, by August 1st, we, we should know m- m- a bit more clearly what, what their plans are with the roster. Contreras will be back. They'll have another bullpen arm. Um, but for the time being, they got to, you know, you, you can't roll into this road trip with, you know, you mentioned the Cubs 7-3 start. The Cardinals are 8-3. and three. You can't roll into this. You can't have a 2-7 and seven road trip here coming back home to face the Brewers for the second time in a week. They they have to win. They they, they got to win probably five games uh, and out of this road trip to feel com- comfortably ahead of, of their counterparts in the division. That's just what I think between now and August uh, 1st, that, that needs to be the goal. Yeah, I would agree. The the Cardinals are looking good, and that's with Paul Goldschmidt just being he's bad right now. So if he turns it around, that's pretty scary. Which he hit the grand slam in extra innings today. Did he? Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't see that. Wow. Uh huh. He had a grand yeah. slam in the tenth. Jesus. So yeah, that's probably not a good sign if he's starting to figure it out. No. <laughs> but I think the one thing is for certain at the deadline, I don't think there's any scenario where the Cubs do nothing. I mean, Theo Preach, no. I think it was two weeks ago in a press conference, okay. he said there's, they're not sitting on their hands. They're not going to do nothing. They're going to do something. I don't think they're going to do a deal like Whit Merrifield. No, they I don't think don't, they can't do it. They don't have the prospects in the forum system. In the deal like that, I don't think people understand how hard that is to pull off in the middle of a season. Like, there's yeah. so many moving parts. And, and like you said, you mentioned Schwarber, and he's been in all these rumors. Yeah. You're, just, you're not adding if you trade a Schwarber. That you're just flip-flopping. You're exactly. just you're the same. You okay? Well, you added a good a quality hitter. Well, you also got rid of one to fit him in. It doesn't really improve you. It's moving parts for the sake of moving parts. So th- that's not a move that you make right now. Um, I get it. it it's like he's a, he can play center field. There's a fit there. The contract's great for the future. But I, it's, I agree with. There's just too. It, it would be too difficult. That's a trade that would have had to been starting talking about since, honest to God, probably back around Mother's Day. It would take that long to find the moving parts. Yeah, and it's the Cubs would have to probably pick two players off that MLB roster, and if they had a bunch of depth, maybe you pull the trigger, but they do not. Nope. So, I mean, I think we covered everything we wanted to cover today, Pat. Do you have anything else you wanna you wanna say before we before we wrap this thing up? No, I don't. I just hope the Cubs are able to, you know, lock in, bounce back tomorrow behind you, Darvish, who's been much stronger uh, on the road this season. And uh, really, really looking forward to hopefully a more positive podcast tomorrow. Yep, absolutely. It's exciting to see you, Darvish, pitch this well. Hopefully he gets another win. And thank you for listening. Go Cubs, go. Go Cubs. Go Cubs.